0: Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me: A Disciple's Journey. This episode uh, will be discussing sh- Section 46 of the Doctrine and Covenants. This, uh, along with Moroni Chapter 10, are it also those two chapters, Section 46 and then Moroni Chapter 10, excellent chapters, I think, companion chapters even to study together. Um, so if you know if if time permits this week is in your studies, I would recommend studying uh, that chapter this week as well. Um, because they both t- talk about the gifts of the spirit and uh, i think i especially like where moroni ends and i'm going to talk about that uh some here in a minute um first of all there as discussed in the in the overviews episode the church was just facing some some more questions and how about what does the spirit look like what does the spirit feel like what is it what how does it How do people behave when they're feeling the Spirit? How do you discern between truth and error? That's, I mean, and are we any different today? That's, And that's kind of the point that I hope to make in this, specifically this episode, is, you know, it's it's interesting to think about these people feeling the Spirit and claiming to feel the Spirit and slithering around, writhing uh, all over the place like a snake or just convulsing basically on the ground or just shouting random words in an incoherent language. And you think, man, that's kind of silly, right? But it, we're not much different today. You know, it's hard It's hard to discern truth from error today. It's hard to tell um, when someone's being led by the Spirit, when you are being led by the Spirit, or when you're not. And so, I think that's the power of this section, is it tells us, it gives us a roadmap, kind of, and some, uh, I guess, signs if you want to say that that word, I'd hesitate to use that word. I don't know what else to use, though. Uh, marker posts of what it is like to have the Spirit with you. Um, Joseph Smith said about uh, about this situation and about discerning the Spirit, "...a man must have the discerning of spirits before he can drag into daylight this hellish influence and unfold it unto the world in all its soul-destroying, diabolic, and horrid colors." For nothing is a greater injury to the children of men than to be under the influence of a false spirit when they think they have the spirit of God. Thousands have felt the influence of this terrible power and and baneful effects. Long pilgrimages have been undertaken, penances endured, and pain, misery, and ruin have followed in their train. Nations have been convulsed, kingdoms overthrown, provinces laid waste, and and blood, carnage, and desolation are are, uh, habiliments in which it has been clothed. Let me boil that down for you. Satan's good at what he does. He's good at counterfeiting the spirit. He is. But and the thing is this is you think about a counterfeit, a counterfeit is meant to look as close to the real thing as possible. The thing you I've I've used this, I think, probably I want to say in last year's Book of Mormon, one of the episodes last year or so. If you've heard me say this, you'll you you know, you might recognize it from an, a past episode, but the thing I like to talk about when, I t- when we talk about uh, Satan and counterfeiting is money. Uh, you know, we've all probably seen a movie or a TV show where people are trying to counterfeit money, and oftentimes the plot re- uh, revolves around uh, these villains or whoever in the in the show stealing all of the proper equipment. You know, the, the plates to f- uh, print the proper money so it looks just right. The proper paper. And fibers that go in the paper, and um, all of these different things that go into it—they—they—they they, they steal all of these things. That it's real money, right? It's—it's it's got the right ink, it's got the right paper, it's got the right everything. So, what makes it a counterfeit? It's not—it's not any different than the money that is "quote unquote" real money. So, what makes it counterfeit? the source the source is what makes it counterfeit. Satan is that good Satan oftentimes will utilize the same feelings thoughts will uh in, in but only in slightly different ways but in such a indistinguishable way that it's can be very difficult to distinguish the real thing from the counterfeit and so the Lord through through all, a lot of scripture through the prophet living today, has given us a road map of being able to be able to recognize what his spirit, what the, the spirit feels like. Because at the end of the day, no matter how close Satan gets, it's the source that makes something a counterfeit. And so in our life and in your life, that's why President Nelson has said we have to pay the price for priesthood power. We have to pay the price to have the uh, gift of the Holy Ghost with us at all times so that we can recognize his spirit, we can recognize his voice, we can recognize revelation. And He's he's gone as far as to say, without that, we won't be able to survive. And why is that? I think one of the reasons why is because Satan is so good at counterfeiting it that like Joseph Smith said here in this quote that I read a few minutes ago, not only will we not have the spirit of revelation, we'll have the spirit of false revelation, but we'll think we have the spirit of God with us. And that, as Joseph said, is more dangerous. But if we have it and we recognize it, then it's then it becomes easy. Um, I grew up playing baseball, and my dad would often come to my games, very rarely missed a game. Uh, sometimes he'd be late, you know, he'd have to work, sometimes games... Especially, I'm thinking, like, um, in high school, I would play sometimes two games a day. And, uh, and so one of the games would start at 4, and one of them would start typically at, like, 7 o'clock. And the 4 o'clock game, you know, my dad might still be finishing up work, working somewhere, and so he might not get there until a little later. But I always knew when my dad got there. Um, I grew up in a great community. A community that really supported all the high schools. Um, there's, you know, when I was there, there was just a handful of high schools and the community supported each school and different sporting events. Um, and like, I mean, I'm sure it's like this in other places, but it was, it was a great place to play baseball. Uh, for like a lot of our games, there was a lot of people that come. And I know that it's not like, I know that it's not like that in every place. You know, we'd get a few hundred people every game. And that, you know, for a high school baseball game, that is fairly significant. And so there's, you know, cheering and there's people yelling and whistling and other parents. And so the point is that I'm trying to create here is, I mean, I'm not going to say it was like a packed stadium that's, you know, so noisy you can't even hear yourself think. It wasn't like that. But it, there was noise, right? Noise enough to be loud. And, and yet I always would know when my dad got there because he had this, he has, and he still does it sometimes today. He has this whistle. He does that honestly, probably to anyone else was indistinguishable from other whistles and from the other noise at the game. But I always could recognize it immediately and instantly. And I would know that my dad was there and sometimes, and here's the thing is it off. It really was like just the same whistle he would do, but, I felt like and that I always knew what he was saying to me. Um, you know, some parents hover at a baseball game. And they're they're yelling at their kids, even all the way through high school, college, baseball. That, you know, they're specifically, typically the dad is yelling and giving instruction. And it's like, take it easy. You know, I've got a coach. I'll listen to my coach. Um, and, but my dad never really did that. But what my dad did is he would whistle. And like I said, it would always sound probably the same to everyone else. But I always knew what he was saying to me. You know, if I swung at a bad pitch, he would do the whistle, and I would know that was his way of just saying, come on, you're smarter than that. If uh, he felt like I wasn't leading off enough or from from a base, I would hear the whistle, and I would know that what that meant. So the point of me telling this story is, I didn't always know that. How did I come to know that? I came to know that over time, over experience with my dad coming to games and using that whistle. And then suddenly it became second nature. Suddenly I could distinguish it from all of the counterfeit whistles. It's the same way in our life with the spirit. The more we are familiar with it, the easier it is to discern between Truth and error between the true spirit and a counterfeit spirit, and as we look for, and as we study these spiritual gifts this week, that's what the Lord is saying to us: is look for these gifts. As you become familiar with them, and as you seek to acquire them, it'll become easier for you to acquire more because you'll be able to understand the spirit more. You'll have the spirit with you more. It'll be easier for you to discern the spirit in you. It'll be easier for you to discern the spirit. And others, um, and so with that in mind, I want I do want to pull a few quotes here and then uh, share some final thoughts about the importance of developing spiritual gifts or gifts of the spirit. So this uh, another uh, chapter. This echoes is First Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul teaches about how each of us are different and unique uh, parts of, but all parts of the body of Christ. We all have a different role to play. Um, important to note in section 11 and 12 the Lord tells us that all uh, to every man is given a gift he does say not every man has every gift but uh, every man does have a gift every person especially those who have been baptized and received the gift of the Holy Ghost because that's how these gifts come is from the Spirit Elder Orson Pratt said Whenever the Holy Ghost takes up residence in a person, it not only cleanses, sanctifies, and purifies him in proportion as he yields himself to its influence, but also imparts to him some gift intended for the benefit of himself and others. No one who has been born of the Spirit and who remains sufficiently faithful is left destitute of a spiritual gift. A person who is without a spiritual gift has not the Spirit of God dwelling in him in a sufficient degree to save him. He cannot be called a saint or a child of God. For all saints who constitute the Church of Christ— are baptized in the same Spirit, and each one, without any exception, is made a partaker of some spiritual gift. Each member does not receive all the gifts, but they are distributed through the whole body of the Church, according to the will and wisdom of the Spirit. Some may have all these gifts bestowed upon them as to, to understand them all, and be prepared to detect any spurious gifts, and to preside over the whole body of the Church, that they may be benefited. These spiritual gifts are distributed among the members of the Church according to their faithfulness, circumstances, natural abilities, duties, and callings that the whole may be properly instructed, confirmed, perfected, and saved. So, just reiterating sections 11 and 12 there. One caveat, and uh, Eller Pratt alluded to it, the Lord does tell us that bishops are given the ability to discern these gifts. Why? Well, so that they can call people to to callings, that they can either A, develop gifts that they lack, or B, use gifts that they have to bless the Lord. Something else I want to pull out from other Pratt's uh, quote that I just read there is, is important. These gifts are given for the benefit of others. Yes, they benefit us too, but they are given for the benefit, for us to benefit and serve others. Who had all of these gifts? Christ. What did he do? Did he go around serving himself, edifying himself, puffing himself up? No, he went around serving others. He went about doing good. And that's what we're to do with these gifts. As we receive them, if we serve others, you can bet that the gifts that we do have will be magnified, and we will uh, be given more gifts of the Spirit. Because the Lord will know He can trust us to serve His children with the gifts that He gives us. Um, two gifts I want to touch on is the gift to know that Jesus is uh, that Jesus is the Christ, and the gift of wisdom. First. Uh, the gift to know that Jesus is the Christ. President Joseph Fielding Smith said, when the Spirit speaks to Spirit, the imprint upon the soul is far more difficult to erase. Every member of the church should have, the, have impressions that Jesus is the Son of God, indelibly pictured on His soul through the witness of the Holy Ghost. We don't come to know that Jesus is the Christ by having Him appear to us in the land of Bountiful, and feeling the nail prints in his hands and his feet. Though that would be awesome and amazing, coming to know that Jesus is the Christ is a gift of the Spirit. I'm sure, and as we can see from Fourth Nephi, and um, the the several hundred years of peace that the Nephites experienced, those people did experience this gift of the Spirit to know that Jesus is the Christ. But it didn't come from feeling the the handprint and the nail prints in his hands and his feet and the wound in his side. Another way we can know that is the generation who felt that and saw that, they died. And yet unity persisted. The Zion-type community that they had persisted for hundreds of years. So that should tell us something. That should tell us that we, too, can come to know that Jesus is the Christ through that same spiritual gift. How does it come? It comes through asking. Um, a couple of scriptures I want to share. 2 Nephi chapter 26, end of the chapter. Nephi says, uh, Actually, it's in the, near the middle now that I'm thinking about it. It says, And he manifesteth himself, he being Christ, unto all those who believe in him by the power of the Holy Ghost. Yea, and every nation, kindred, tongue, and people working mighty miracles, signs, and wonders among the children of men according to their faith. How does he manifest himself to them? By the power of the Holy Ghost. It's that same spirit that we should be seeking. It's the same way that we can know um, that Jesus is the Christ. Moroni chapter 7, Mormon writing to his son, talks to us about another spiritual gift. And I think we can learn not only about this spiritual gift, but other spiritual gifts. He's specifically talking about charity, but insert any spiritual gift that you're seeking here. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that you may be filled with this spiritual gift, which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God, that when he shall appear, ye shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope, that we may be purified even as he is pure. Amen. Mormon is teaching his son... About charity, which is a spiritual gift. Like I said, it applies to all spiritual gifts. Christ is the culmination of these spiritual gifts. The fullness of the stature of Christ. That's what we're trying to become, right? We're trying to be like him. He said, be ye therefore perfect. Well, can we obey that commandment right now? Ah, man, it's a tough thing because I, he meant what he said. He didn't mince words ever. I don't think he was mincing words then. The Greek... You know, people will say, well, in the Greek, in the New Testament, it means complete and whole, so we can't do that until the next life. Well, the Book of Mormon, in Third Nephi, he says the same thing, and guess what? It gets translated as the same word, perfect, wasn't translated from the Greek. So, so what then? We're commanded to be perfect. Spiritual gifts are how we become like Christ. How do we be, how do we get those spiritual gifts? We pray for them. We ask for them. We... Uh, do our best to be obedient and to qualify for them. And we repent, repent, repent. Repentance isn't a detour. Repentance is the road to perfection. Repentance is the road on which we're going to hit these marker posts, these signs that I had mentioned, these spiritual gifts. George Q. Cannon said this, How many of you are seeking for these gifts that God has promised to bestow? How many of you, when you bow before your Heavenly Father in your family circle or in your secret places, contend for these gifts to be bestowed upon you? How many of you ask the Father in the name of Jesus Christ to manifest manifest Himself to you through these powers and these gifts? Or do you go along day by day, like a door turning on its hinges, without having any feeling upon the subject, without exercising any faith, whatever, contend to be baptized and be members of the, the church and to rest there, thinking of your salvation as secure because you have done this? If any of us is imperfect, all of us. So be therefore perfect, right? So if any of us are not perfect, it is our duty to pray for the gift that will make us perfect. Have I imperfections? I am full of them. What is my duty? To pray to God to give me the gifts that will correct these imperfections. If I am an angry man, it is my duty to pray for charity, which suffereth long and is kind. If I am an envious man, man, it is my duty to pray for, uh, to seek for charity which envieth not. So with all the gifts of the gospel. They are intended for this purpose. No man ought to say, oh, I can't help this, it's my nature. He is not justified in it. For the reason that God has promised to give strength to correct these things and to give gifts that will eradicate them. If a man lack wisdom, it is his duty to ask God for wisdom. The same with everything else. That is the design of God concerning his church. He wants the saints to be perfected in the truth. For this purpose he gives these gifts and bestows them upon those who seek after them. In order they may become perfect And be a perfect people upon the face of the earth. Notwithstanding, there are many weaknesses. Because God has promised to give the gifts that are necessary for their perfection. God has promised us these gifts if we will seek after them and ask for them. Now, will we be perfect in this life? No. But it is our duty to be perfect in this life. And the beautiful thing is that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through repentance, through His merits, His mercy, His grace, He will make us into creatures who can obey His command to be perfect. But it comes line upon line, precept upon precept, gift upon gift. One thing I love that uh, President Cannon said is that if you, you we, we can't be content just saying, "Oh, that's my nature." King Benjamin taught us that the natural man is an enemy to God and has been forever and ever and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. The enticings of the Holy Spirit. King Benjamin also was teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. Through yielding to the enticings of the Spirit, we receive gifts of the Spirit. We receive knowledge that Jesus is the Christ. We receive the gift of wisdom. The reason I want to touch on that is it's it's such an obvious gift from the spirit that highlights how we receive them how did joseph smith receive wisdom he read in james chapter 1 verse 5 if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of god who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not if any of you lack fill in the blank spiritual gift Let him ask of God, who giveth to all men and women and children liberally, and upbraideth not. He won't be mad at you for asking. He won't think that you're greedy. He wants to give you these gifts. He wants you to be perfect. He's commanded you to be perfect. And what does he do when we obey any of his commands? He blesses us. Moroni in chapter 7 said, Why will we be able to see him when he comes and see him for who he is? Why will we recognize him? Because we will be like him with these spiritual gifts. Moroni chapter 10 talks about these spiritual gifts. And how does Moroni uh, culminate? He says, Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him. And deny yourselves of all ungodliness. You can't just say, This is just the way I am. I was born this way. I have this fault. And if you shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you that by his grace he may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace, and if by grace in, of God you are perfect in Christ, you can in no wise deny the power of God. And again, if you by the grace of God are perfect in Christ and deny not his power, then you are sanctified in Christ and by the grace of Christ through the shedding of the blood of Christ, which is in the, which is in the covenant of the Father unto the remission of your sins that ye may be come holy without spot. I want to tie this real quickly as I close with another thought, and it relates to my uh, the episode last week, section forty-five, Zion and unity and love. As a body of Christ, listen, we individually we won't be perfect in this life, but we have to try. We have to seek for these gifts. And he will create it, make us into creatures who can obey this commandment. But I want to read something else before I make this point. I'm going to reiterate, uh, I'm just going to, for emphasis, reread a part of what President Cannon said. He said, He wants his saints to be perfect in the truth. For this purpose he gives these gifts and bestows them upon those who seek after them in order that they may be a perfect people upon the face of the earth. Perfect people, plural, together, but separate individuals, but together. What is that? What's that like? Oh, that sounds a lot like Zion and being unified. The body of Christ, which is his kingdom, us, the saints on the earth, can be perfect in this life. How can we be perfect? How can the body of Christ be perfect? By all of us coming together and utilizing the gifts that we do have, because within the church will exist, within the body of Christ will exist all of the gifts. But only if we come together, only if we come together in unity, only if we seek to serve each other, only if we put the needs of other people before our own needs. And so I see this great connection between the, the revelation of the last days from section 45 and Zion and the power of Zion and these spiritual gifts. These gifts that God bestows upon Zion and upon his people and upon us through the, through the Holy Ghost and through and by and because the atonement of Jesus Christ. That is why Zion has power. That's the power that the rest of the world will be lacking. That's why the rest of the world will be afraid to come against Zion. But only, Zion will only exist if we put forth that effort. If we put our spiritual gifts to use to serving our neighbors. No matter how different they are than us. Especially if they're different than us. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. and that of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul teaching us why we have the organization of the church at all. Right there it is. To unify us. Strengthen us. Till we uh, become and reach to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Individually and collectively. Thank you for listening to this episode. Um, I hope you'll join me in the next episode as we discuss uh, sections 47 and 48. Best of luck in your studies.